Hi everybody, welcome back to the Babbling Bearded Biker podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and here comes this episode. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Babbling Bearded Biker podcast. So it's been a while since I've done this, it's been nearly six months, I mean loads and loads of stuff has happened in that time. Um, got a new job, baby on the way, and by the look of it the country's going to shit. Um, I just want to say thank you for returning, thank you for listening to me babble on for the next 20, 30, 40 minutes, however, this lo- however long this one takes. I'm grateful for you guys coming back to listen to me, I'm grateful to everybody if anyone's got any ideas, they want to do a collaboration, give us a message. Most of you know me personally. Just tell me you you want to do it with me and we'll crack on, get some ideas and see what we can do with that. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about strikes and those dreaded, the unions, those awful, awful people. And what I'm going to try and do is going to try and break down the misconceptions of what strike action actually is. And why do people go on strike? Why do people feel the need just to, you know, down tools such? And and the history behind it and what trade unions and striking has actually achieved. So, so what are strikes? I mean, it's pretty obvious what they are. They are mass refusal to work. People say, no, we've had enough. We're down in tools for X, Y, Z. When I go through the history, you'll see a pattern of why people have been going on strike over the uh, decades and decades and decades. So it's mainly poor pay, poor working conditions, contract changes, and all things like that, which make working life difficult. Um, And, you know, and what makes it difficult for people to be able to go to work safely and be able to feed their families and to be able to heat their houses. And basically, back in the 1800s, safety was a massive part of why they went on strike. I mean, the first strike was the Matchstick Girls in 1888. I mean, they went on strike because they were working long hours for poor pay and there was a, a massive load of something called fossy jaw which was the phosphorus in the matchsticks were causing the necrosis of the jawbone for my non-medical and nursing friends necrosis is when tissue dies like gangrene that goes black and falls off that was happening to their jaws because of the proximity to the phosphorus, phosphorus. So one member of staff was sacked because she stood. I believe it was a she stood up and said, "No, we can't do this anymore." So one thousand four hundred workers, who were mostly women in the factories, just said no and walked out. And when they walked out, they demanded better pay, safer working practices, safer working conditions, more staff. All the stuff that you take as a given in two weeks, two weeks, all it took, two weeks of a mass walkout, their bosses went, yeah, okay, we agree. And they gave them what they wanted. And in a great unrest of 1911 to 1914, just just the years preceding the First World War, again, 
poor pay, increased cost of living. 3,000 strikes in those two years. Not two years? Two, three years. But my maths isn't my strong point, obviously. Um, but in that time, there's 3,000 strikes. Mostly turned violent with the strikers um, fighting with the police and fighting with the, um, the strike breakers as they had at those times. In 1919, the Battle of George Square in Scotland and Glasgow. So this one is shrouded in quite a bit of myth. There was myths going around that the British government sent in the military to break the strike and sent in tanks to break the strike. Now, I did a bit of research on this one and it seems that... Yes, the military was deployed, but they weren't involved in breaking the strikes. That was the police. There was baton charges by the police. There was cavalry charges, again, by the police. The military were there, and I'm pretty sure they were very intimidating, but they weren't actively involved in breaking the strike. That was down, down to the police. Um, there was widespread violence on that. And the reason they went on strike was reducing the working week from 40, from 57 hours to 40 hours. 57 hours. I mean, the, the EU working time directive, you can't do more than 48 hours a week. I mean, if you think about it, 57 hours, what's that? Four, five, five 12-hour shifts? A week. I mean, a lot of people do it anyway, but that's a long time, and especially in the conditions that they had back in the early 1900s. Um, it was just, yeah, crazy. And they managed to get to a previously agreed 47-hour week, which is what we know now. Um, and then moving on from that, you have the general strike in 1927, there are 1.7 million workers, mostly coal, mostly coal miners. Again, they went on strike. Poor pay, working conditions. And you got to remember, that was during the, um, the start of the Great Depression, which means, you know, that inflation was going up and up and up and up, and the wages weren't following. So obviously, people couldn't afford to live. They had no choice but to go on strike. And that was, like I said, that was coal miners. But what happened in that time, in that those series of strikes, was also wildcat strikes, which is where an unofficial strike, so it's called, where members of other industries, healthcare, you know, teachers, all that, went on strike in solidarity with the striking miners. Speaking about striking in solidarity, there's something in Norfolk um, called Burston Strike School. So it started in 1914 and the strike officially ended in 1939. 25 years that strike was going on. Now I, every year they have, a, they have an event called the Burston Strike School Rally, um, there, which is full of left-wing people like myself. And... They go there to commemorate the longest strike in this country. So basically, two, the schoolmasters 
Anne Higdon and her husband Tom were sacked um, over a dispute with the management committee and the school children all went on strike. They set up an alternative school and they just stayed on strike from this particular school. And it, like I said, it went on for 25 years. And I mean, that, that's just, that's crazy. And these are school children. They stood with the Hidgens and they stood in solidarity with them. And, you know, if kids can do that, why can't we as grown-ups? And then the, the general strike in 1977, nine days that strike was on. I haven't got much information now, to be fair. The um, Trade Union Council backed down because they weren't getting anywhere. Then the miners' strike, 1972. Again, dispute over pay, pit closures, and just general working conditions. And there was violence, violence widespread in that. There was a strike-breaking force of volunteers who were driving lorries to and from the pits to keep keep things running, which would have effectively broken the strike. Whether that was from through the pickets or around them, who knows? It didn't come to fruition. It was sealed under the 30-year law. For those who don't know what the 30-year law is, it's, um, it's a set amount of time. It can be any time, I believe. And it's sealed from public knowledge, so no one can read it until the time is up. There's... There's things which have been sealed for 100 years, which are now coming out from the war, uh, from uh, the First World War. There's various things which have been sealed, which are now coming out. Um, so, yeah, so they, they were asking for volunteers to effectively break the strike, which, you know, kind of defeats the whole object of a strike. Um, some people listening will remember this one, the Winter of Discontent, 1978-79. So um, the Labour government at the time had put a cap on pay. So a lot of people's pay was not rising with inflation. There were multiple strikes up and down the country. Um, coal, a big one, I believe, with, um, with really poor weather, snowstorms and all sorts. So without the coal, they couldn't heat the homes. Now... The Labour government refused to acknowledge that there was any issues. They refused to acknowledge it. This, The Conservative League leader by the name of Margaret Thatcher came on the, um, on the party broadcast and acknowledged that there was strike action going on and that swayed the votes. So she came into power. Now, with her, she brought very, very strict laws against unions, very strict laws, some of which she still used today. And that sort of shot them in the foot a bit, to be honest, because with those strict laws, the strikes were very hard to do, and they're even harder to do in this current time, which, again, I'm going to come on to that later on in the... the, um, in the episode. So you, you had the miners' strike, 1984-85. That's quite a famous part of the miners' strike in that time. Again, that was unemployment. Um, 
Pompeii. And there was something called the Battle of Orgreave on the 18th of June 1984, which was between pickets, which was against um, the, the striking workers and the South Yorkshire Police and other police forces. And it was in Rotherham. And one of the most violent clashes in British history between um, between strike striking workers and the government, which was at the time the police force. So, in two thousand fifteen, the Independent Police Complaints Independent Police Complaints Commission reported there was evidence of excessive violence by the police and perjury by the actual policemen and and apparent cover-ups and from what I can see there was um, there was just masses of assaults on the workers to the point where in 1991 the police paid £425,000 in compensation to 39 miners and that changed changed the narrative of the strikes the um the trade unions and the strikers had to change their tactics because of the brutality of what happened there's 6000 police there um and they they were told do not let the miners and the strikers win so they it was set up as a battle and a battle that the police were going to win <laughs> you know bollocks to the coal bollocks to the actual reason they were striking just don't let them win and unfortunately that's what happened and i mean we're still learning about it because like i said previously things have been sealed and they'll be sealed for another 50 100 years because it makes it made the government look bad that it's all come out but the fact that compensation we're back in 91 that amount of money that was paid to 39 of the strikers and that just shows because that was a lot of money back then a hell of a lot you could live off that for the rest of your life and the fact that they had to pay that out just kind of says that they were in the wrong ultimately the um the unions backed down because what happened as the government had already planned for strike action, it's like they already, already knew what was going to happen. And they'd stockpiled coal, which they, they used, which effectively disarmed the strikers. And they couldn't, that they had nothing to use. They had no ammunition, which meant that they just, they just went back to work and they basically shut up a put up. So in 2002, the, the firefighters went on strike for a pay increase. 30,000 involved and the military had to come in to cover for the firefighters who were on strike using green goddesses um the, the fire trucks which you know they, they had to get the military and that's just that's scary instead of actually speaking to them i mean they managed to seal a three-year deal for pay but the fact that the military was in instead of negotiating and holding their hands up and changing what was needed they just brought in 
fought in the military because you know the military solve everything of course back in 2011 there was a coordinated one day strike one million public sector workers went on strike pay pensions working conditions and i mean one one million people is just one day and i believe it worked straight away there's no no others after that in 2011 so i mean that's just a, a brief history i mean there's plenty more um history of strike action so let's talk about this year and last year so i mean the past past year and a half there's been unprecedented amount of strikes i've never seen so many strikes and so many industries going on strike i mean the, the trains are the big one everybody knows about the the trains going on strike and there's a lot of misinformation going around about why these guys are on strike which is one of the reasons i wanted to do this episode so i could hopefully lay some of that and you know actually get away from the narrative of the greedy bastards and are just doing it for money yes they're doing it for pay but they're also doing it for safety um the aslef asl aslef is the one of the trade unions now their shareholders were paid 262 million in one year 262 million i mean you can't even think you can't even put down how much money that is to to shareholders for people who literally own part of the company and own shares in the company so instead of putting that money into making the trains better and paying their staff a wage which they could actually survive on they didn't they paid it to the bloody shareholders um, the RMT, so this this is a, one of the more notorious ones at the moment, is the RMT with their leader, Mick Lynch. So they've had a real terms pay cut, much like the rest of the public sector. Now, it depends on, on what company they're with, but their drivers can earn anything between 24 grand to 49 grand a year, which is high, admittedly. But when you're driving a train at 70 plus miles an hour, at 100% focus the whole time, yeah, damn, damn right that they need to be paid high because it's a dangerous job. One wrong mistake, you miss one signal, and then you've just derailed a train with hundreds of casualties. And, you know, they should be, you know, looked after as such. And one thing they were doing was trying to increase working hours. But can you imagine, you know, 12 hours at 70 plus miles an hour? You know, I don't know how much train weighs, but I'm guessing it's more than a couple of ton. You know, that thing's a weapon if you make a mistake. And before they went on strike, there's threats of redundancies and docked pay. So essentially, the beatings will, will increase until morale improves. You know, you can't run a company like that. You can't treat staff like that. I mean, Mick Lynch and his um, and his TV appearances, I mean, they're not actually got down to the nitty-gritty. They were talking about his Facebook 
profile picture. I mean, Piers Morgan went from on that, and I must admit, Mick Lynch handled it beautifully for a joke, because that's what it was. It's an absolute joke. And they weren't concentrating on why your members on strike. How much does he get? How much does he get? They went straight for the, no, you look like, I think it's from Thunderbirds. You look like the baddie from Thunderbirds. You've got it as your Facebook profile picture. Yes, I have. <laughs> it's my Facebook profile picture. That's, you know, that's it. Now, I've listened to this man speak at the Burson Strike School um, that I mentioned earlier. You know what? He, I thought he was absolutely cracking. I, you know, he said exactly why we all need to be paid fairly, no matter what industry you're in. Uh, you know, and we need to be able to do our jobs effectively and safely. And I mean, they're, they're losing guards on the trains. You know, the bloke who comes up and down, tickets please, tickets please. You know, they're, they're getting minimalised. So instead of having two guards on a train, you know, i got one. And then on trains, people get larry, you know, sexual assaults, there's racism. It's a dangerous place to be. And also, if someone's ill, if someone needs help, if there's no guards, it's not gonna, they're not going to be able to look after people. And also, the ticket staff in the ticket offices, everything's going to be done on the machines. If the machine buggers up, you ain't going anywhere. And sometimes it's nice, especially if you don't know what station you need to go to. So I'm going to so-and-so. Okay, yeah, you get this train, mate. Get off here. Get on there. Without, you know especially for the older generation who aren't so technologically advanced, what are they going to do? They're, they're going to be struggling. And cleaners are cutting the cleaners down on trains. So it's just because people are lazy, instead of either taking the rubbish with them or sticking them in the bin, they just leave them there. And it's just, you know, no one's going to want to be on the train anymore. And I mean, train tickets are expensive stupidly expensive I mean there's a comparison done it would cost less to travel for, through Germany to France on a train than it would to get from Liverpool to London on a train but going back to that 262 million spent to shareholders where do you think that money's going? It's going straight to shareholders straight to a collect group of people who that's the reason the costs are going up and the staff are getting it in the neck, you know, with poor pay. Barristers, I mean, I this was a massive surprise to me. Barristers, lawyers, so they've had two decades of pay freeze and cuts. For the first three years, they were on £12,200 a year. I mean, that's not even minimum wage. They managed to secure a 15% pay deal. So they got a 15% pay rise straight away. So the money was there. Obviously, it was bloody there. So why not pay your staff appropriately? Post, postmen and women, the, uh, the CWU union, so, again, pay, mass redundancies, change in terms of conditions. So I chatted, had a chat to my postie about it. So they're expecting, and bear in mind, he's getting close to retirement now, they're expecting to do more routes with less staff. 
how you know and the routes are bigger and wider and farther away from the depot but they're taking away the staff i mean you can't expect people to do more or less but that's exactly what they're doing i mean a post is on between 16 and 24 grand a year you know that's barely above living wage i think it's called now it's barely above that i mean how can you how can you survive on that alone you you can't you really can't and then the nhs strikes so this one's a big one it's one that's very close to me and you're damn right i would be on that picket line if i could but unfortunately well not unfortunately but i've changed jobs so i'm no longer part of the union parts if that makes anything at all but the reason the nhs going on going on strike is pay pay is not terrible but for what we did what i did and what we do it's not not good i mean staffing is awful absolutely awful increased pressure it's no secret what is happening in a and e departments and hospitals up and down the country i mean when I worked there, we were seeing patients come in just in droves, absolute droves, queues out the doors, 20, 30 ambulances sitting outside waiting for bed, which would probably not come within the next 12 hours. And something needs to happen. And it seems that the only way to make the government actually realise there is a bloody crisis and it's been brewing for years is actually down in tools i mean they keep on saying i mean i i read somewhere that a starting wage for a nurse was thirty nine thousand pound you're having a bloody laugh 39 grand no not in the slightest. it's not for starting wage nursing staff is made up of band fives who their starting wage is 24 grand per year but that's not counting deductions, it's not counting tax national insurance, that's not counting union membership, it's not counting their student loan, which is about 30 grand, and any student debts have taken out, any loans have taken out, they've got to pay that back. I don't know any other industry where you're in debt before you even start earning a wage. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, these qualified nurses are on less than £15 an hour, and they are making life and death decisions for their patients they're recognizing when a patient is ill they're recognizing when something's just not right whether it be a safeguarding issue or medical issue or i don't like the look of that you know there's such a thing called the nurse's gut which you just get a feeling all all their observations are fine everything's fine but you just get a feeling something is not right with this person and they're paid less than 15 pound an hour there was something I popped up on Facebook the other day. There was a nurse, I can't remember where she was. And she is actually earning more, with the exchange rate, of course, selling ice creams on a beach in Australia. She's actually earning more doing that than being a fully qualified staff nurse for the NHS. It's just crazy, absolutely crazy. The band twos, the healthcare assistants, the band three, senior healthcare assistants, they're on less than £12 an hour. They're the backbone of the NHS. 
the absolute backbone of it. And a band two, just over 20 grand a year. Band three, just over 21 a year. Well, just over 21 and a half a year. They're the backbone. They're the ones who see the patients, do the personal care, run samples to the labs, stock up. And they're paid less than £12 an hour. You could get more working in Aldi as a deputy manager. They're on 30 grand a year. Yes, they have responsibilities. Yes, they have to answer. But if they make a mistake, nobody dies. One of these nurses makes a mistake. Very likely a patient will die. And these, they're expected to put up a shop. Uh, and the simple fact that the Royal College of Nursing have dropped their strike mandate, or no strike mandate, sorry, and going on the first strike in their 100-year-plus history of being formed kind of speaks volumes, absolute volumes. I never thought I would see the RCN go on strike because they've always been anti-strike action. I mean, my six-year experience in the emergency department of my local hospital, I've seen some stuff which would break people. I've done CPR. I've, you know, helped mend broken bones. I've put, helped put people back together. I've helped save lives for less than twelve pound, less than twelve pound an hour. And that's that's not right. That is not right in the slightest. And you're expected to do it day in, day out, while worrying whether you're going to heat your home, whether you're going to feed your kids, whether you're going to feed yourself. And the, if it if the only way to actually make not only the general public realise, but the government realise that this isn't sustainable, is to go on strike, then so be it. I mean, I hear the hear the thing of oh, you can't can't leave your patients. You're going against the code of conduct. No, you're not. And patient safety is paramount. I mean, what is safe about a ninety-five year old sitting in ambulance for five ten hours? And because the ambulance is sitting outside the hospital because there's no beds because all the community beds have been shut by, yet again, this government. When I started in 2010, there was about 11, 12 community hospitals in the county. There's now about two, three. And therefore, there was a release when I still worked there, where they said that there was nearly 350 medically fit patients waiting to be discharged. But they could not be discharged anywhere safely. And that's, that's a mind-boggling number. Absolutely mind-boggling. And places are closing left, right, centre. But who is closing these places? It's not the nurses. It's not the doctors. It's the government. They're the ones who have caused this issue. And like I said, I worked at that hospital for 12 years. And it's been getting steadily worse and worse and worse. Staffing cuts, equipment cuts using substandard equipment because it's the only ones we could afford. Hospitals being in 
debt up to their eyeballs because it's just not sustainable anymore. So get out on the picket lines, full solidarity with all the strikers. The money is out there, definitely. And the fact that the government is bringing in new legislation to make it harder to go on strike, it means they're scared. It, mean, it means they're worried. So it used to be illegal to bring in agency staff to break the strikes. But now they've, they've managed to get, get around that. But they're spending more money on these agency staff. Now, to be honest, I've got nothing against agency staff. I would, if, if a, a chance arose for me to do it and to earn more doing the same job, then damn right I'd do it. But the government's spending more money to stop people going on strike or to make strikes less powerful. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. Surely if they've got the money to do that, they've got the money to pay people a effective, livable wage. And there's also emergency powers being drafted to draft in the military. Now, it doesn't actually say what the military is going to do. I mean, in nursing, I'm pretty sure the Royal, Ale Royal Alexandria Nursing Corps are fantastic. I'm sure they're fantastic with their, their war injuries and, you know, general costs and costs that squaddies get. But when you've got 95-year-old Doris with dementia, how are they going to be able to cope with that? Because I'm pretty sure that in military hospitals... They haven't got dementia patients or Alzheimer's patients or people suffering from mental health problems or traumatised people after sexual assault or something. Pretty sure they don't have to deal with that. Although saying that, I must admit, if you admit if you've ever had a smack off a little five foot nothing year old, 90, 98 year old lady with dementia, they'll be pretty good on the front lines, I think. I've had some hard hits in my time, but that's that is the hardest from a from a little little ninety eight year old. She nearly, nearly broke my bloody jaw. So just send them in. We won't have to worry about any military anymore. Um, I mean, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous path the way I see it. So the Trade Union Act two thousand sixteen. Well, that again that took a lot of power from the unions because they've got a cap on ballots for strike action. So. With the current strikes for the NHS, there's a lot of people wondering why why is this hospital going to strike but not this one? Because the Trade Union Act. So fifty percent of the eligible members in that that trust, that area, need to vote for a minimum of eighty percent. So they raise the bar completely. Instead of you know, actually addressing the concerns of the staff. They're actually making it harder for the staff to stand up and say, no, we're not doing this. And ballots for strike action can only be sent via the post. Posts on strike. I mean, it's 2023, for God's sake. During COVID, everything was done online. Hell, my kids went to school online. But they still need to send out ballot papers 
via the post, which get lost in the post. A lot of people didn't receive the ballots because they got lost in the post or the posties were on strike or, you know, it's just... They can work with us as working class. They can work with us, but they refuse to. They'd rather just make us do it by making it harder, do anything else. I mean, the laws against trade unions are the harshest in the Western world, to the point that there's actually been violations from the European Court of Human Rights against the trade union, um, against the uh, laws against trade unions, because it's our right as people to have unions, so our right as workers to have someone sitting on our side. Now, what a lot of people said to me, I used to be a union rep, was unions done nothing for me. Why should I be in a union? Why should I pay for it? I nearly put my bloody head through a wall many times because people don't get what the unions have actually done. I mean, strike action is the last thing, is the last thing they can do. Collective bargaining is the first. You sit down with the bosses and you come to an agreement, which is normally normally close to what members want, or they're just going, no, we're not going to negotiate with you, which is what happened with the rail strikes. Go ahead with these strikes. We're going to make people redundant and dock pay. That's not working with your staff, is it? I mean, unions, they got rid of the workhouses. They promoted workers' rights. The 47-hour week, so you're not working all the hours. All the hours in the, in the day. Two-day weekend. So your Saturday and Sunday, they never used to be all right. Back in the oh, 1700s, you used to work Monday to Saturday and have Sunday off as a day of rest. So you had one day off out of seven. It was the union who actually made sure you had two days off for those working nine to five, Monday to Friday. I'm one of them now. But, um, you know, minimum wage was promoted by the unions. Equal pay between sexes. I would earn exactly the same as someone as the opposite sex doing the same job. And that's the way it should be. On your, you know, it should, it doesn't matter your sex. I mean, obviously, if it was a, a band five, there was a band three, then yeah, of course I'll get paid more. But that's, you know, if you're doing the same job, you should get paid the same. And unions promote that. Parental leave. I'll get two weeks of paternity leave when my next kid is born. Yeah, I'm expecting a fourth, for those who don't know. Um, I thought I'd drop that one in there. Maternity leave as well. That was brought about by the unions. Collective bargaining around paying conditions, making sure the employers stick to contracts and treat everybody fairly. Annual leave, holiday. And not only that, that's that's the, 
the bigger part of it in the workplace i mean it's always good to have a union rep on your side always because they'll be the person sat next to you if you screw up and even if you don't screw up even if you you know you've had a few too many days off sick if you have a, a grievance with another member of staff if you're holding from in the office for something you haven't done you will have a union rep sat next to you and if you know the your bosses do something that's against contract or it's against policy the union rep has full right to go hang on a minute that's wrong you can't do that you can't say that that's not going to happen they you pay for you pay union fees for them to sit next to you and for them to help you and that's what they will do i did it myself you know and that's why you pay your fees if you're a union member of course but i just cannot stand people sitting there and people saying to me oh what do you do for me i just rattled off a load of bloody things but always useful to be in a union that's the first thing my mum said to me when I started working in healthcare in a care home she went get in a union I'm a dad actually for that matter get in a union then you've got someone fighting your corner because from personal experience there's nothing worse than being dragged in the office to have two of your senior managers there and someone from HR and you're sat there on your own. There's absolutely nothing worse than that. That that is the reason I became a union rep. Because I didn't want anybody feeling the same. And that's classic, classic technique. It's called an ambush. Because they literally sit there and go, right, you did this wrong. You can't really say any, anything against it. Whereas a union rep sit next to you go, well, hang on a minute. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And they will be by your side. That's why we need unions. And that's why these strikes are happening. Because the higher-ups are not listening. They're just going for the money. And the higher-ups being the shareholders for the trains, the shareholders for Royal Mail, the government for the NHS. They're just going for money. Money, 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 money. They ain't going shit about anything else. They don't give a shit about this working class. I mean... The energy crisis is a prime example. The fact that people's energy has soared so much that people are actually deciding between food and heating their house. It's just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. 2023, we're a progressive society. We should be looking after people. It shouldn't be a choice whether to feed your family or to heat your house. I mean, what bloody hell is that all about? I mean, the UK is supposed to be one of the the fifth richest country in the U- in the world. I mean, how exactly? And who has all this money? I mean, from what I remember, one percent of people accum- have accumulated around thirty to fifty percent of the world's wealth. So the rest rest of us are just you know left. So. That's my talk on strikes, why they're happening, history of strike action, unions, blah, blah, blah. As usual, I just babbled on a bit longer, but hey-ho. So if you feel 
I had a bit of a loss of things to do on either this coming Wednesday or Thursday. Pop down to your local hospital, go see the picket lines, go speak to them. Don't believe all this crap on the papers, because I can tell you now, the papers are going to absolutely rip it apart. The NHS strikes, I can just see the headlines, especially from the Daily Mail, the Sun. They're going to be saying how bad the nurses are, how awful they are. Go down to a picket, go speak to them. Go see why they're going on strike. Because it'll be completely different to what the media has portrayed. I can tell you that now. So as always, thank you for listening to me babble on. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm on Facebook, Babbling Bearded Biker. You can catch this on Acast. You can catch it on Spotify. Names the same on all of them. So next episode, I'm going to cover something that I quite enjoy. And it's called Krav Maga Self-Defence. So I hope everyone keeps safe. Let me know. Comment. Put them on a Facebook page. Tell me in person. Whatever. Keep safe. Look after yourself, guys. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to me babble on. Your comments are all welcome, and I appreciate you listening to me. Look after yourselves.